We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi everybody, welcome to today's show. I've got Chris Bolliard with me today. Chris is a purveyor of fine, organic, and pasture-raised meats. In fact, we are recording today from his butcher shop in St. Louis, Missouri. We're going to talk today about local, truly naturally raised meats. The interesting thing about Chris's shop here is that he only sources natural meat. Unlike many grocery stores that have a small area set aside for natural meats that are usually frozen, this is not an add-on or something extra on the side of Chris's shop. This is all he does. Chris, welcome to the show. Why don't we start today by having you tell us a little about your background and what brought you to creating this unique butcher shop? So I've, uh, I've been in the, the restaurant business um, my whole life. And before my wife and I opened up Bollyard's Meat and Provisions, I was the chef de cuisine at Sydney Street Cafe for a little over 10 years. And um, about four or five years into my time there, we started getting in whole animals and, uh, and utilizing the whole animal. And with that comes sausage making and charcuterie. And there's a lot, you know, a lot on the animal to, to use up. And that, that kind of sparked my interest and passion in, in butchering and, and, um, and making sausage and, and things like that. And, and so in addition to that, we, we felt like there was a need for it in St. Louis. You know, there's, there's really no place to get good quality, pasture-raised, fresh meat. You know, at, at, the, at the farmer's markets, you can get good quality meat, but it's always going to be frozen. And you're kind of limited to the, uh, the options, the, you know, the, the variety of cuts. So, um, you know, it was just kind of a work in progress. And um, whether, you know, sourcing the, the farms and, and going out to the farms and, and, and talking to the farmers and about their practices and, and actually buying meat from them and, and trying it ourselves and get, getting our friends and family to try it and getting feedback on it. And that's kind of how we decided to, to use the farms that we're using today. And it just kind of turned into uh, to our, our little home here in Maplewood. Yeah, it's really great. We're lucky here in the Midwest because there are a lot of farmers doing pasture-raised beef. 
it's awesome. But like you said, most of it's frozen. And so you're really the only butcher shop that I know of that, that brings it in live. And uh, how much meat do you go through here? In a um, we go through quite a bit. I mean, we, we bring in one whole steer a week, uh, about two and a half hogs, and like around 50 chickens a week. The, the steers average about 550 to 600 pounds, which is relatively small when you compare it to a commercially raised feedlot beef, which could be 1,000 up to 1,200 pounds. Uh, the hogs average about 200 pounds, um, and the chickens are about you know, three and a half to four pounds a piece. So, you know, it's, it's a good amount of meat for our little shop. Right. I've got a couple of questions about the meat. When, and this is a while ago, when I was studying anatomy and physiology, getting prepared to go to acupuncture school, I got really curious when I was at home cutting up chickens because all of a sudden I could, you know, oh, here's, you know, here's a tendon and, oh, look, you know, here's these particular kinds of ribs. And you, know, you could really see how the bones fit together. I mean, it was fascinating. And I've noticed that with the pasture-raised turkeys and chickens that I've been eating, it seems like their bone structure is bigger and, and more well-developed in some ways. And certainly these critters have muscle tone. So I'm curious from your point of view, because you're, you're sitting here with a saw taking these critters apart. How do you see these grass-fed animals anatomically, physically, being different from the more conventionally raised ones? So, um, you know, as you're, you're breaking down these animals and you're taking a closer look at, at the fat and the bone structure and the actual the flesh, you know, the main differences are, are the, the color and the, and the appearance of them because of their diet. You know, with with uh, with these animals being raised on pasture and, and eating a natural diet, you know the fat's going to have a little bit different color to it. Like with our with our beef, it's going to have like a yellowish tint to it, as opposed to like a bright white color, and that's because of their grass diet. The meat's going to be um, a, a much darker red on on the beef. It's not going to marble quite the same way again because of the diet with the with the feedlot beef. They're they're going to be fed a ton of grain and corn. And that's gonna that's gonna impart mar- marbling in the meat. So the grass fed won't marble the same way. Won't go with the same grading grading scale as you know as the conventional beef. And then with the you know the the chickens and the, and the turkeys, uh, again with the with the color of of the flesh and and the fat. Sometimes when you get like a store bought turkey, it's gonna be it's gonna be rather large and and plump, but you're not going to get the same nutritional value or the flavor out of it because of, because of their diet and how they're raised. You know, we, none of the animals are ever given any hormones or antibiotics. So, you know, they're just going to be, um, they're going to fill out to their natural size and it's not going to be like this big giant turkey breast, you know, top heavy and sure there's gonna be a lot of meat on it, but it's, it's, it's not going to be as good for you and it's not going to have as much flavor as a pasture raised bird. Right. Your birds here taste delicious. <laughs> I've had them. You use the entire critter, everything basically from hoof to nose, just, well, yeah, hoof to nose, pretty much. And you've got some amazing bone broths here. Tell us a little bit about those. So we offer three different, three different varieties, uh, beef, chicken, and pork. And they all pretty much start out the same way. We'll take the bones and we'll roast them in an oven just to get, for two reasons, for color and for flavor. And it's not a necessary step. You're still going to get the same health benefits from the broth itself, but It'll, it'll look nicer, have like a golden color to it, and it's going to have flavors. You know, you're caramelizing the bones, and you're going to get that flavor out of it. 
you know, you're, you're, you're drinking this for, for its health benefits, of course, but you want it to taste good. So I, I recommend roasting the bones, which we, we do at the shop. And so um, we, they all start in a pot with some water. And usually you want to use enough water just to cover the bones by an inch or so. And I always add just a little bit of, uh, of vinegar, and it could be any vinegar um, at, at home, whatever you have, whether it's apple cider or, or you know, just distilled white vinegar. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And what the vinegar is going to do is help draw out all, all the uh, collagen and all the nutrients from the bones. So you're going to get the, the maximum from them. With our chicken, we usually let it go for about four hours to, to draw out everything. And then with the pork and the beef, at least 12 hours. You know, some, some people say they let theirs go for 24 hours, but um, we, we always recommend at least 12 hours, and that's, that's a good amount of time. So this is just like a low simmer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely not a, a rolling boil because what's going to happen if you're leaving a stock on for that long, it's going to boil away to nothing. You know, the water's going to evaporate, and you're just going to left with dry bones, and it's defeating, you know, the, the, the purpose of what you're trying to do. So what I always recommend people do you got your bones in the pot with the water and your, your little dash of vinegar, bring it up to a boil, and then you'll just skim off all the foam and, and some of the impurities that come to the top and then turn it down real, real low till it's just less than a simmer and uh, leave the pot uncovered and um, just, just leave it on that heat. Now, your bone broths are particularly tasty, and I suspect that might have something to do with your long background in the restaurant industry. Tell us a little bit about how you flavor yours and maybe some other suggestions that people could use to flavor theirs as well. Um, so... After we've made the stock with the bones, some of it will go in our case and we'll sell it as stock for cooking. And that's just roasted bones and water. I don't, I don't add any salt or anything to it, no, no vegetables or herbs. And, uh, and then we'll take the other half of it and we'll put it back in the pot and we'll add a little bit of salt. And we, we add the salt to it because salt enhances the natural flavor of anything. As you know, I think a little salt is important. It makes, just makes things taste better. So we'll, we'll season it with salt. And then the, the chicken will have herbs in it and turmeric. Um, the, the beef will have lemongrass and ginger and kefir lime. And the, the pork we season with, with a Chinese five spice and uh, some local apples. Um, and, you, you know, and those are just, just what we do at the shop. And then the, the possibilities are endless. You can, you can flavor them any, any way you want. You know. Have you got some other ideas that you could share with us about flavoring? Beef lends itself well with a lot of different flavors. Um, uh, horseradish is always really good in, in a beef broth. Um, that would be tasty. Um, pork as well. I mean, por- um, I like to pair um, mustard with pork. Pork and mustard are always good combinations. So um, you could steep some, some mustard seeds in there or even throw some, some whole grain mustard in there. Now, you use all of the animal. And while most of us Americans are used to eating just the lean meat, a lot of other cultures really rely on the organ meats. And the organ meats are incredibly nutritious. And increasingly, as people are paying attention to their nutrition, especially women who want to get pregnant or people that have been ill and they're trying to recover from some kind of illness, organ meats, because they've got so many minerals and so many vitamins, can really be an essential part of being healthy. Unfortunately, most of us don't know much about cooking them. And some of us have issues with the taste. So... Can you give us some suggestions on how to roll these odd bits into our usual diet? Yeah, absolutely. So, at, you know, at the shop, we, we offer all those, all those uh, organ meats, whether it be from uh, you know, a steer, a hog, or a chicken. I, and there's some good literature at the shop, too. We, we, sell a, we carry a book called Odd Bits, and it's a book that's just solely dedicated to cooking all those, all those cuts that people aren't familiar with, whether it be the kidney or the heart or the liver or the tongue. 
So that's, that'd be very helpful. And then as well, you can always ask us, I mean, that's why we're here. That's what we do. We, we offer advice on, on how to cook those things that, you know, and, and I understand that liver may not be for everybody, but there's, there's definitely ways to sneak it in there almost undetected. Um, a good example is Braunschweiger. I mean, you can definitely taste, taste it in there, but it's, it's a little more mild because there's, there's some other, there's ground pork in there and, and bacon and that helps with it. And that surprisingly is a very popular seller at the shop. People really like the Braunschweiger and there's, there's a ton of liver in it. So that's, that's very good for you. We have another, uh, another item called country pate and that's got a little bit of everything in it. It's got chicken liver in it. Um, some, some ground pork or some mushrooms and pistachios in it. And you can't really taste the liver in that, but there's, there's chicken liver in that. And another, another thing that we do at the shop is we will smoke beef heart and, uh, that goes over really well. Um, you can slice it thin and, and make a sandwich out of it. And a heart is, is really just a, a big muscle. And the beef heart's very versatile. So not only can you smoke it, but you know you could slice it thin and grill it like a steak. You could cut it up real fine and fold it into your, your burger. You know, or I can grind it in with, with, with beef for you guys if you want. You know, we, so that's, that's a way to so do it. So you could custom grind up some hamburger. Yeah, absolutely. That would have some of these different internal organs in it and, and kind of sneak it into the daily diet. Will it get by a kid's palate as well? Um, you know, I guess it depends on, on, the, on the kid, um, how, how sensitive they are to things like that. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think you can, you can sneak it in. Like I, uh, I had another woman come in and she bought some kidneys and she, she wanted to do just that. Is she wanted her family to get the nutritional value from it, but she wanted to sneak it in. So I think she was, you know, she was braising some, uh, some, some beef stew. And at the shop, we'll usually cube up um, the shank meat from the steer, and that'll we'll sell that as stew meat. And she folded in some uh, some kidneys into it. And uh, you know, I, I the next time she came in, I asked her about it. And she said it went over really well. You know, our family didn't even know that there was there was kidneys in with the with the stew, and uh, you know, they were they got all the nutritional value from it. That's great. So you can put these things into a stew, let it cook for a while. All the different flavors infused. You can roll it into some burger. Folks would know, and I guess sausage is another way of getting. Yeah, absolutely. We um, we at the shop we try to utilize everything. So we've got um, a blood pudding that we do on occasion, and that's got uh, heart, liver, and kidney in it, as well as a little bit of our, our beef bacon that we do, and, and of course blood, which may not be for everybody, but um, there's a little bit of everything in there, and it's it's really good. Tell us about the beef bacon. That that sounds a bit unusual. Beef bacon, you know, it's fun. It's a good alternative to uh, <clears throat> to the pork bacon. It's uh, it's a little bit leaner, I think. There's there's definitely still some some good marbling of the fat in there, but we we treat it the same way we do pork bacon. We'll take the navel, which is equivalent to the belly in a hog, and uh, we'll throw a cure on it, and we hot smoke it, so it's it's fully cooked. Makes great sandwiches. Uh, I will say it won't crisp up quite the same way as as the pork bacon. There's not as much sugar in the cure that we use. Um, so I always recommend kind of starting in a pan and, and finishing in the oven. And it's another one of those things that it's, you can just eat it cold too. It's, it's fully cooked and we'll, we'll slice it as thick or as thin as you want it here at the shop. So you could just make a sandwich out of it. My wife likes to throw it into our vegetable stir fries. It adds incredible flavor. What about tongue? I can remember as a kid growing up with tongue. Um, you know, and when you're young and you're eating tongue, at least for me, I didn't think too much about it. Until I got to be a certain age and I thought, tongue? Is, is tongue like tongue? You know, which began to freak me out a little bit. But as a kid, I remember it being pretty tasty. How do you, do you, I assume that you use that here as some ways that you can uh, share with us about how to use that? 
yeah, particular meat? Tongue is tongue is delicious. You know, it's a, it's a tougher cut, so it's something that you you want to cook at a lower temperature for for a little longer period of time. Um, you can always throw it in a crock pot and um, you know simmer it with uh, with some stock and and maybe some spices and make tacos out of it. It's, it's also really good smoked. One fun thing that we like to do at the shop is is corn it and make you know corn and tongue out of it. We call it pastrami, but technically pastrami is smoked. Uh, but we call it, you know, tongue pastrami, and and we'll throw it on a sandwich. We offer a sandwich uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And if I, some people, if I didn't tell them that it was tongue, they wouldn't know. You know, they would just think, "Wow, this is really good corned beef." So, you know, that's that's just a couple of of ways that you can utilize it. And it's, and again, you can also grind it into um, your your hamburger mix, or or cube it up and, and fold it into your stew. you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. So, Anyone could come down to your butcher shop here and say, I'd like some custom ground beef for my burgers. And could you put a little bit of tongue or, or a little bit of heart or liver or whatever, and you, you could throw a custom grind on that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's part of what we do. We'll, if we're able to do it for you and you've got a specific request, we will absolutely do it. You know, we're, we're a custom shop. So a good example of that, I had a gentleman come in a few weeks ago who is um, – He's a bodybuilder and he's on a, a very high protein diet. And he wanted he bought an assortment of of different meats. And um, one of the things that he asked me to do was he had a specific grind and he wanted ground beef with uh, some liver and kidney ground into it because he wanted all the nutritional value uh, from that. That worked out well for him, and we'll absolutely do that. And if you want like a specific grind, you know we do an eighty twenty grind at the shop for our ground beef. But if you want something leaner, we'll do that for you. If you want something fattier, we'll do that as well. Or a coarser grind or a finer grind. It sounds like in general these pasture-raised critters are leaner. Yes, than absolutely. The, than the conventionally raised ones. Do you see the fat showing up in different places on these animals than, than on a conventional raised animal? No, I mean, there's, they're, they they're still going to, uh, to have fat in all, all the same areas. It's going to be less of it. So if you're looking for some lean meat, this is a naturally yes. lean meat, even the fattier cuts. You know, like the, the ribeyes and things like that, they're, they're going to have some, some good marbling in it, but in general, it's, they're going to be a lot leaner. And with that being said, grass fed beef cooks up 30% faster than, than, um, conventionally raised feedlot beef just because there, there isn't as much fat on there. So it's a lot easier to overcook it. And, and when that happens, it becomes dry. So you know, that's part of our responsibility to educate people. That's a helpful thing to know. You know, one of the things I really love about your store here is sometimes I come in and there's something I want and you don't have it because you're sold out of it because your stuff is fresh. It's not frozen. When you got it, you got it. If it's gone, it's gone. So, and you use the whole animal. So if I'm looking for a ribeye, but there's no ribeyes available, what other kinds of cuts would you recommend? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a, that's a very good question. And we get that a lot. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's so many cuts on a steer and 
people are real familiar with the ribeyes and the strips and the tenderloins that they see in the grocery store. But sometimes those cuts sell out real fast because those are the real popular ones. But um, it's kind of up to us to, to educate people on these other cuts that are great comparable substitute and sometimes might be more economical. You know, they'll be a little bit more affordable than, than the more popular cuts. So we'll just say, for example, we have a steak called a ranch steak. And I would compare it to a sirloin steak. It comes from a, the total opposite end of the animal. The sirloin is, is, um, is near the rump. It's kind of in between the, uh, the strip and the round. That's where the, that's where the sirloin is. But the ranch steak is out of the shoulder clod heart. And it's a very lean cut, but you can cook it just the same way as you would a sirloin, whether it be on the grill or uh, pan roasting, finish it in the oven kind of thing. So that's, that's, that's a good example of, uh, of a good substitute for that. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about these naturally raised meats and, and how they can incorporate it into their diet? Back to the, uh, to the bone broth thing. You know, people have been, been making broths for centuries, and it kind of started out as they did it out of necessity because they didn't have very much food available to them, so they had to utilize everything. And in doing so, they, they were able to to get all the health benefits from it. So when you're, when you're making bone broth and you're using like the skin and the ligaments and the tendons and the bone and the marrow, there's a lot of nutritional value in those things. And you, it's hard to get just eating them on, on, on their own. They're not very palatable. So you make a broth out of it and you're, you're getting all the, all the nutrients from, from the bones and the ligaments and all the parts that aren't very edible. You know, I know that there are some people who love to chew on bones. And, and they actually really enjoy, like, getting in there and just, like, gnawing off the grizzle, which is really good for your joints, right? I mean, that's the basic building blocks for your joints. Those of us that aren't so crazy about chewing on the gristle, the bone broth is amazing because all that stuff is, is in the liquid. And if you've got achy joints, if you've got arthritis, if you've got problems with inflammation— that bone broth has all the basic ingredients that you need Absolutely. to heal those sorts of problems up. Yeah, they, you know, they're, they're very rich in, uh, in, in amino acids, and uh, you know, there's, very, there's a lot of benefits to amino acids, whether, like you said, for your joint health, you know, for gut, it's really good for your gut, it's good for your skin, um, it's, you know, it's, it helps with cell structure and protein development, you know, for your brain. You know, it's, it's good for, for your brain as well. And so with that being said, it's really important to use good quality fresh bones that have been raised on pasture for, for several reasons. With pasture-raised bones, they're not, you're not going to get any of the hormones or antibiotics that the animals have been fed because you're directly going to consume that. I mean, you are what you eat after all. And sometimes if you get, you'll get broths from the store, it could be made from lab-based meat flavor like like bouillon cubes and it's not really a true broth i mean it's going to taste good but you're not getting any of the nutritional value that you would from a real bone broth right you're getting all that gristle and collagen and uh i've noticed that these bone broths when you put them in the fridge they jelly up exactly and that's a sign of a a really good broth absolutely and you don't see that with the store-bought stuff and the reason that happens is um, it's from the collagen. So through the cooking process, the collagen is, tr- is turned into gelatin. And that's why when it's cold, it's almost like jello. But that's, that's a good thing. That's what you want. That's when, that's, that's when you know it's, it's nutrient-dense. Um, it's going to have a lot of flavor. And that, that's really what you're looking for is the, the gelatinous quality to the stocks when they're cold. Yeah. 
they look kind of funny when you first pull them out of the fridge because they wiggle. Yeah, and people aren't used to seeing that, you know. And they said, "Is this is this still good? Is this okay? I mean, can can we drink this?" I said, "Absolutely. That's that's what that's what you want." And of course, when you you know when you heat it up, it'll become liquid, and you can just drink it. Yeah. Well, our grandmothers and great grandmothers drank it that way. Yeah. We're used to getting stuff in a can or a box, and you know this kind of stuff you just can't get in a can or a box. Uh, yeah, correct. I you agree. Kind of got to DIY it. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's. It's it's very approachable. I mean, for some people, it's not because they they don't know anything about it and they uh, they've never done it before. But I welcome anybody to come into the shop and, and ask me any any question they want about how to make broth, and I'll and I'll tell them it's it's real easy. We sell bones at the shop too, so if people want to want to try it on their own at home, I re- I totally recommend it. And and it freezes well too. You know, fresh fresh stock or broth will be good in the refrigerator for up to a week. But if you want to free, you know make a big batch and, and freeze it, it freezes really well too. You know, at six months to a year. So again, looking at the difference between conventionally raised animals and these pasture raised animals. What is it about their diet that's going to translate into health benefits for us? So, as I said before, I mean, you are, you are what you eat. And so with these animals being raised on pasture, they're going to have a natural diet, what they would naturally eat. So a lot of that will be grass and maybe, uh, you know, tree roots and, and nuts and bugs, things like that. So there, there's a lot of omega-3s in grass itself. And so when the animal consumes that, that, be, that makes the meat very high in it. So there's, there's, there's four times more omega-3s in grass-fed beef than there is in uh, conventionally raised feedlot beef. So from what I understand about omega-3s and omega-6s, that means that these animals have a much lower load of inflammation because the omega-3s are basically anti-inflammatory. Correct, yeah. And they're just passing that along to us as we yes. eat those delicious burgers. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, and the, the omega-3s are very important for cell structure and, uh, and brain function. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, also with, with chicken eggs, you, you'll see chicken eggs in the, in the grocery store that the chicken's been fed only a, a certain diet of like grain and corn. And it's like a, a chicken feed that they give them and they're all cooped up together and they're not, they're not free to roam around. And, and the eggs are, the, the yolks are kind of a, an off yellow and, and, uh, they're, they're, they don't have very much density to them. As opposed to the the eggs that we have here at the shop, the the yolks are almost orange in color, very nutrient dense, and that directly relates to the chickens foraging um, on pasture, eating grass and bugs, and it's whatever they're you know they can get their get their little beaks on. Yeah, chickens are supposed to eat bugs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's part of their natural diet. I've noticed that the pasture raised chickens that I've had, their muscle tone is completely different than the muscle tone on a conventionally raised bird. Yeah, you'll you'll see some of these like turkeys and chickens that in the grocery store that that look huge and and very plump, but they're they're bred and raised to to be like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're going to be as full of the nutritional value as as the pastured birds. You know, there's going to be a lot more flavor in the pastured birds too because of their diet. Yeah, my wife always makes some chicken bone broth after we've had a roasted chicken for dinner. Yeah, and the the difference between a pasture-raised bird, and, and even just like a regular, I'm going to put it in quotes, organic bird, you know, from a reasonably good source, the flavor of the broth itself is really in the telling. It's, it's so much more flavorful. It's got a completely different sense, and it seems to have a, um, more collagen and gelatin and, and all that other stuff. It's thicker. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's of their diet and, you know, all, all the stuff that they've consumed it gets passes along, you know, it gets passed along to you. 
Yeah. You know, this is great. We're in the middle of the country here, St. Louis, Missouri. It, it's hard to get more inland than us. And out on the coasts, people generally have more access to seafood. And of course, things like salmon and the cold water fish are really famous for their high content of omega-3s. But here in the Midwest, these pasture-raised critters, they're actually, I don't think they're quite as high as the salmon are, but they're an excellent source yes. of these omega-3 fatty Absolutely. acids. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if people are concerned with what they're eating as they should be, it's a really great place to start with, with pasture-raised meat, especially our, our grass-fed beef, because, again, because of the diet, they're so nutrient-dense, especially with the omega-3s. Chris, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners here about pasture-raised animals or, or how they can incorporate this stuff into their diet and into their life? Especially, this may be kind of a a wild card question. We're lucky here in the Midwest that we've got purveyors like you that are bringing us this stuff. What about people that don't have easy access to fresh pasture-raised meats? Any suggestions for them? There's a really good website that actually we're on. It's called Eat Wild. And um, there's other websites as well, American Grass-Fed, where you can go and see who's raising these animals, who's doing it the right way, who's raising them on pasture. And the internet is a is a good tool for that. So a lot of these farms will mail bundles of meat to people who uh, may not have a shop like ours in their neighborhood. So I would definitely recommend you know using the internet as a good tool to to seek out these uh, these farms and this pasture raised meat. It's great. It's a wonderful way to support these farmers as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's not only good for the individual, but it's good for the local economy. It's it leaves less of a of a carbon footprint. Our all the farms that we use are no more than three hours away. You know, I think our our, our chicken farm is the farthest one away. It's in California, Missouri, about three hours. But both our beef farms are about an hour and a half away. You know, so that's doesn't have very far to travel to get to us. So you know, obviously, it's going to be very fresh, and it's supporting the the local economy and keeping the dollars here. St. Louis. Lots of good reasons to eat this pasture-fed meat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really a joy to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 